always depended on the kindness of strangers. All right, so he's not a regular rat or, or even a super rat. He's a scared little mouse, that's all. Welcome to The Real Woman, a podcast about all things cinematic. I'm your host, Emmanuel Perryman. I'm super excited about my guest today. He is a screenwriter, comedian, actor, and just an all-around great guy. Plus, he's been my friend for over 20 years. I'd like to welcome Jason Zumwalt. Hi, Jason. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Um, and our topic, <laughs> I, uh, I just want to, um, for people who wonder why we're laughing, we've known each other for like 20 plus years, and so we were talking a little bit before, so we're, we're uh, catching up here a little bit. But um, our, the topic that you chose, well, before we get into that, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've been doing in the last 20 years. And, and oh, my God. Wait a minute. I, how long is this podcast? <laughs> uh, well, okay. I think, um, let's see, 23 years ago we met, 96. Last time we saw each other, you reminded me, it was around 98 or 99. And I think what I was what I was chewing on at that time was, was leaving acting and kind of just giving up on acting, uh, mainly because I felt that wasn't creatively fulfilling. Um and I, and I think I was kind of approaching the idea of uh, doing some writing, um, but not necessarily leaving the performing behind. So what I found was uh, stand-up comedy. So from about 99 to 2005, I really focused on stand-up comedy and just getting good at it, um, kind of staying in... Uh, at first, I, I moved back to Arizona, and there was a little stand-up comedy scene there, and I was playing in bars. And, and I seem to remember that. I don't know where I even heard that, but I remember you doing getting into stand-up comedy. Yeah, I, uh, gosh, you know, I wouldn't know how you would know that. I don't know, but I did. I, I mean, like, I'm not, like, I'm not shocked to hear that. I'm like, yeah. yeah you know why? I, need... I think because, like, the first time I went up was around that time. It was in 98 or 99. And I would, I just started going to open mics at Stand Up New York. This is back when you could literally walk up to Stand Up New York on a Monday night and put your name on a list and get on stage. Like, that's unheard of now, apparently. Right, right. Um, but, but it was something that you could do back then because not a lot of people were trying to be stand-ups. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I, I started doing it back then, um, toying, toying around with writing material and Really what I was, I, I, I've always kind of had a, a gift for uh, impressions. So I knew that I could kind of lean on, you know, the funny voices and to kind of get me through a set in order to kind of fine-tune material that didn't use that as a crutch. So that was kind of what I was working on. I was also just working on being comfortable on stage. And I got to a point where um, I was starting to feel good, I was, I was getting my legs under me, 
and and then my my father passed away in 2000 we were just talking about this my father passed away in 2004 and i've I've kind of self-analyzed this afterwards but i the 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 desire to to be on a stage left me like i i it gave me no joy after my father passed away and i think it's i think what it is is um Uh, he he didn't tell me he loved me until I was in my late twenties, uh, after he had been diagnosed with cancer and was uh, taking THC pills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he loosened up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I think for all those years that I was on a stage, what I was really doing was I was just I was standing on a box in the middle of the street trying to get my father to notice me um you know and i took i took that act all the way to new york and then uh all around the country and all i was trying to do was what i was basically just saying was proud of me now dad right and then as, as soon as dad as soon as dad wasn't around that that feeling uh disappeared but what didn't disappear was how much i loved to write so uh i kind of devoted uh, all of my attention into uh, screenwriting and then fell in with a, a group of uh, a couple of guys who had started doing online videos in 2005 right before YouTube they were calling themselves the post show and they were just doing online sketch comedy and I wanted to be a part of a crew like that who was kind of doing sort of a down and dirty uh, guerrilla style filmmaking, um, uh, Robert Rodriguez kind of, you know, right. make it up on the, you know what I mean? Right. And I saw that, I saw that these two guys who I, you know, I was acquaintances with were doing this. So I literally just showed up at their door and was like, I'm part of this now. <laughs> <laughs> and they, I can and totally they, see you do that too. Yeah. And, and they were like, okay. Uh, and then nine months later we had, we had a, a deal with uh, this uh, website called Super Deluxe, um, and uh, they've since revived and disappeared again. But it, it was I'm Warner's Super Deluxe. I think it was tangentially attached to Adult Swim in some way. But they started paying us to make these videos, and because of that deal, we ended up getting signing with uh, United Talent Agency out here in LA. And because what we really wanted to do was make movies, we decided to move to L.A. We sold a script, a bunch of pilots, made a bunch of pilots. Um, we, uh, as a group, we, we made our film Flock of Dudes, which came out in 2016 with an amazing cast, um, all of them stand-up comedians, funnily enough. Um, and, uh, and then I, and then what happened, I, I, I just started kind of pulling away from comedy in a bit. It, it, it just kind of started to feel a little hollow. I felt the momentum. I, I, I wonder if I, I don't know. I, I kind of felt the, mo- the momentum moving away from my comedic perspective, which is, hi, I, I'm a white male in, in my, <laughs> you know, my early 40s. Um, yeah. And I don't, I just kind of felt like I don't feel relevant anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Comedically. And, 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 I, and I just started moving toward um, genre. 
I started writing genre. I started doing uh, more more stuff that just interests me. That always interested me before, kind of you know, putting my comedic stamp on things. I grew up as like a, a fan of Spielberg. I grew up as uh, you know. Didn't we all? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but what, when I say Spielberg, people think like Jurassic Park and like. No. AI. Well, I think E.T. Exactly, but even before that, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Jaws. Yes. Those are scary movies. Man. Yes. Like, people don't poltergeist. I mean, come on. I know Toby Hooper, quote unquote, directed that movie. Right. We all know what happened. But we all know but that's first, a Spielberg movie. Exactly. That's, that's definitely a Spielberg movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first movie I, I consciously remember watching was Alien. Oh, my. I mean, I was, dude, I couldn't. This is before my brother was born, and my brother was born in 1980, so, you know, I, I was young, and, I, and my parents were young, too. That's probably why they let me watch that, that stuff, but anyway, I started moving more towards that, uh, and it just kind of naturally happened. I, I, wrote, um, I wrote a slasher film. I wrote a, a weird spaghetti western I wrote a, um, and then I fell, in, I fell in with this guy, Aaron Kaufman, who actually produced Flock of Dudes, and he actually worked with Robert Rodriguez uh, for many years. Um, that's how I met him, because I did some, uh, I did some work on one of Robert's films um, that never happened, but anyway, we started talking, he and I, and my partner Brian Levin about this film called Urge. Right. And, um... It was this, uh, it was basically what he wanted was, um, you know, he knew he wanted it to be a drug, like, that, like, people took, and it, like, removed their inhibitions, and we just started pounding, pounding it out. It took us months and months, and then, and then finally it turned into this film, Urge, starring Pierce Brosnan, which also came out in 2016, um, and, uh, that was my, that was the first thing I ever did in sort of the horror slash thriller space which which and which kind of leads us into our topic of the day of horror i think so yeah well yeah but also like the connection between comedy and horror right I mean, yes i say it all the time it's they both are crafts uh that we use to elicit an involuntary response both a scream and a laugh are you know the same the the flip sides of the same coin, right? Definitely. Um, and and I so, feel like laughter allows you to, I mean, there's nervous laughter too. It, it, it just, it, re, it releases some pressure in a sense. You know, it allows you to take a breather from the scare. Right, exactly. But well, that's what the scream does as well. You know, and, and, and the masters of horror um, will let you build up to that scream. Like Hitchcock was fantastic about that. He would just needle you and needle you and needle you until that shower curtain gets pulled back and all you can do at that moment is have that release. But then there's other there's other guys, um, like we're back to Toby Hooper. Yeah. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first time we see Leatherface is a brutal, violent, sudden moment that comes seemingly out of nowhere um, where the the door is pulled back, a man is hit in the head with a mallet, he falls to the ground and then immediately goes into convulsions, he's beat again and then he disappears, I mean it's like what the hell did I just watch you know 
Yes, and I will admit, I have seen, you know, it's slightly hypocritical because I don't think of myself as someone as really being a big horror fan, but Hitchcock is definitely my favorite director. And I was telling someone the other day, I'm like a sponge, I'm very impressionable. <laughs> and those, those overly, what seemed to me overly gory scenes stay in my brain <laughs> longer than I want them to. And I have bad dreams. So I've seen parts of Texas Chainsaw Massacre here and there over the years, but I've never been able to sit through like the entire film because it's just too, I mean, Game of Thrones rocked me at times. And that's not even horror, but I can't rewatch the third season of, of Game of Thrones. The whole torture of Reek, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it again. That's where I almost got off. I mean, you know, like, I'm, I, even though I'm a huge horror fan, you know, like, they, they've treated some of those characters that they, you know, led us to believe were, you know, untouchable. They treat them pretty freaking horrifically. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's the power. That's the power of, uh, you know, horror and, you know, uh, and fear, you know. It's like any one of us at any time and fall victim to the sex. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And even during that, those torture sequences, you know, Ramsey Bolton had some hilarious one-liners. For sure. No, yeah. That's the, the worst and best kind of uh, uh, insidious. I mean, Hannibal Lecter. You know, oh, yeah. The Joker, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's that guy who can make you laugh, make you fake, while he's cutting off your face. <laughs> yes. Terrifying. Yes. Absolutely terrifying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I just want to get into the first movie uh, that we were talking about, which was, which is going to be um, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which is actually considered... Um, it's not the first horror comedy film, because actually D.W. Griffith... Uh, directed a, a, a few uh, in the you know turn of the century, um, nineteen fourteen around there. Um, but Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein is considered the first commercially successful horror comedy. And, yes, and I, I think the reason is is because it, it's interesting because the work when D.W. Griffith did it. And, and, and played with it. It almost felt like it was a lark. You know what I mean? Right, like and that was... Exactly. And that's some of the... Like, the issue is that the, he didn't really strike a good balance between the comedy and the horror. I mean, you can literally see the actors laughing. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm so scared. Right. It's a guy in a skeleton costume, everyone. Right. <laughs> it's, 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 which is kind of funny in its own right, you know what I mean? But, like... No, I think what D.W., um, I mean, uh, what Abbott, the Abbott Costello Phelps did was, you know, they were like, no, 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 we're our thing. And when we come together, we're going to merge the two, and we're going to seamlessly kind of, you know, be faithful to both genres, but not only to both genres, to both fan bases. And they, right. And, you know, it's like, like when Frankenstein throws that woman out of the, out of the, out of the window, she's dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? This isn't, it's not like, this is a, this is a poor woman who went, you know, flying down a cliff. 
She's missed me at the bottom of that cliff. I know. It's, yeah, it's kind. It's scary, you know. And and um, the, that's the power of those actors too. I mean, like I, I you know, Boris Karloff. I'm, I'm sure he he was able to you know crack some one-liners, but like you know, you're not going to get him to do slapstick with you know Abbott Costello, right? Even though he did kind of do that in the film. Um, but you know when he's playing Frankenstein he's going to be true to that character well Bela Lugosi is Dracula right yeah um, and then I think Glenn Strange was the the monster was, oh is that right yeah oh, oh, oh okay wow oh that's so funny yeah Glenn a guy named Glenn Strange he is he's the monster uh, he's Frankenstein's monster um Oh, and, and, uh, uh, but someone, I can't remember who it was now, someone did step in, someone stepped in, I think it might have actually been, because Lon Chaney is in it, Lon Chaney is, uh, the Wolfman, we get all three of them, we get, we get, we get them all, uh, Lon Chaney Jr., I should say, not, not senior, um, but, uh, but, no, and I love, Actually, those those Universal monster movies. I mean, I think they're great, and Frankenstein is really one of the best. Yeah, I would say I, Frankenstein is definitely one of the best, but I still feel like still feel like Dracula for me is 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 the best. Um, I don't know why. There's just there's a magic about that film for me, and it, I don't know what it is. And I think it really is. It's all Bella. It's all Bella. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's so funny too because I know that like he kind of fell into the. Now a lot of people know him. Uh, he's either he's either Dracula or he's you know um, the character that Martin Landau played. Right. You know, who he was playing Bella Lugosi. It's all very true. He was a heroin addict. He had his issues. But you know, it's like they, they you're you're able to kind of remove the mysticism about his performance from that from that original Dracula film. I mean, there's something about him in that movie that, like, I still don't think actors have been able to, to match as as uh, as that character. I mean, you know, say say what you want about um, Gary Oldman, but you know, he was just a little too hairy and a little too. Like, <laughs> he was the, he was the grunge version of Dracula. You <laughs> he know what totally I mean? was. was. Just, you know what I mean? Was hey, like, he's the Sid Vicious of Dracula. just this skinny Brit who I remember more as Sid Vicious, you know what I mean? Like, right. It's, it's a great performance, don't get me wrong. I think like, Gary Oldman in that movie, if you had never seen another Dracula film, you'd be very impressed with his performance, but when you put it next to uh, Bella from Dracula, the 1931 Dracula, it's kind of hard to um, to compare. Did it, is it true, and I, I think this is true, that the only other time Bella played Dracula... Was it in that film? Was it in Luke Abbott Costello? I don't think so. I feel because weren't there other, um, like Universal movies? Like they, I mean, they did then what they do now in terms of, you know, a movie does well and oh, we're gonna do like three different. Because he showed up, he showed up in the Wolfman, but he wasn't Dracula. He was actually Bella in the Wolfman. Right. 
and he's in a lot of those kinds of you know spooky. He's in the Black Cat, but he's I think he's Doctor Wordagast or something like that. Right. Um, but like Night of Terror, he's not Dracula. He's Dagar. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't know. I feel like that might have been the only other time he played Dracula, which makes it even more special in some ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. And I, you know, it's. I was saying earlier that I sort of connect Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein, and there were others. They, were, they met the Invisible Man, um, and it, they also did uh, Meets the Mummy, but for the one that meets Frankenstein is considered the best one. But I sort of, in my mind, sort of think of them as kids' movies, and even though they're not necessarily, but I, I sort of connect them as kids' movies, and I didn't see them as a kid, and so I was actually really happy that you suggested it because I got to watch watch it, you know, as a grown-up and really appreciate the technique behind everything. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, it's interesting, right? I, and I think, I'm wondering, I'm just trying to focus on why you would think that. And I think it's probably because those films... Even the Universal Monster films, I, I think, could could kind of have that connotation to them. They were kind of played like after cartoons on Saturday morning, right? You know what I mean? In that like dead space between like cartoons and college football, right? Uh, we had like you know whatever, uh, whatever, wherever you're from. I know we had it in Phoenix, and I'm pretty sure I remember it in New York in the '90s. But it was like you know the whatever, Channel 7 movie hour, you know what I mean? And then they would right. just put on, like, you know, the Three Stooges were a huge staple, you know what I mean? And right, right. You know, it's, it's easy to kind of, kind of lump the Three Stooges and Abbott Costello together. I mean, they're both slapstick comedy. Um, so, yeah, I could see why you would definitely have that connotation. But, but so, you, so you watched it recently and, and you, were, you were struck by the technique, you say. Well, I didn't know what, I didn't really know what I was, what I was going into. And I felt that they really, you know, it was like sort of a point that you made earlier is when they did the com, when it was comedy, it was comedy. And when it was horror, it was horror. And they really made, did a very good job of, of both, of being faithful to both genres and not, you know, I felt like there was a very even balance. Uh, between the two and and the comedy was genuinely funny was really funny and the horror was genuinely scary I, I, I love Abbott Costello um, I, I love the idea that it's like it's almost like well you know there's like the, the, the common thing to do is like it would be like um, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin where Dean would kind of be the straight man right right and, and and you wanna you wanna believe that like you know one of these guys is a straight man. I mean, there's certainly one who looks less funny, but they're both just complete. It's really dumb and dumber in a lot of ways. Yes. You know? Yes. Just because one has a little more confidence doesn't mean that you know he knows what he's doing. Right. Right. No, I definitely there's definitely um, a through line from ba from Abbott and Costello to Dumb and Dumber. I would agree. Uh, but no, I just, I, I, I don't know, I really, I, I found myself enjoying it even more than I thought I was going to. And this was a, this was kind of a comeback for both genres, you know, like 
We're talking, this movie came out in 1948, and the Universal monster movies were really more of the 30s, and their popularity was starting to wane, and, and basically Universal was saying, you know, like the last couple movies hadn't done well and people were laughing at them and they were like, well, if people are going to laugh at these characters, why not actually put them in a comedy? And Abbott and Costello were sort of waning. And so this was um, really a comeback for both Abbott and Costello and the Universal Monsters. That's so interesting. Uh, so I, you know, I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was, that was very interesting. Uh, and this is the movie... This movie is actually in, um, you know, it's not just us saying it's good. It is included on AFI's uh, 100 Movies, 100 Laughs, like best comedy movies. And it's part of the, um, it's in the Library of Congress, part of the National Registry. Hey, how about that? So, you know, it's interesting because I think that it's a movie that... While it certainly did well commercially when it first came out, it was not, you know, a critical darling. I mean, people were like, what is this? Um, but I feel like it's a movie that has gained love and respect over the years. And a lot of that comes from, like you were saying, it being played on TV and being seen by younger, you know, newer generations who had a, an appreciation for it. Well, that's awesome. That's really cool. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm wondering, because it did come out right before the 1950s, I know there was kind of a, a resurgence uh, in the 1950s of those characters. Um, as a matter of fact, I, just because like I, I had to know if he had played Dracula again, I went ahead and, and looked up Bella. And um, it's funny, he played... I, I, I was actually right. He only played um, uh, Dracula twice in the original Dracula. And then in Abbott Costello, and then he started to kind of show up on television shows as Dracula. Right, right. And, and, and that's why I think we kind of think that maybe he was uh, doing it a lot. But before Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, he had only played him in the original film 17 years before Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein come out. Isn't that, that's a little wild, right? It, totally, totally. And they didn't even want to do... The movie, like Bud Abbott famously, I think it was Abbott who, maybe it was Costello, I take that back, didn't like the script, thought the script was no good, and and I think Bella, like, he didn't want to do it. Like, most of the actors didn't even want to do it. And then, you know, they they got a paycheck and were like, oh, okay. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, that, that has a way of uh, turning, turning people around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the dollar signs made them change their mind, and and then it went, you know, then it became so commercially successful. So you never know. But I really feel like it spawned. You know, it's interesting because on the one hand, I think it spawned um, the horror comedy uh, genre, but like years later, like it didn't. It wasn't like a whole bunch came out right after that. That were super popular you know but but i think of like um you know in the 80s and 90s i feel like the people who not only went to film school but grew up watching those movies returned to them you know certainly spielberg 
in many ways with Jaws. I mean, Jaws is Jaws could be considered horror comedy. I think. You think so? I don't know. I, I think it's hilarious. I mean, I just think there are a lot of funny lines in there. I mean, I think, I think the relationship, the back and forth. Richard Dreyfus cracks me up in that movie. When he, when he, you know, crumples the styrofoam cup. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's funny, though, because I just watched that film uh, for the first time in a long time. Uh, and I watched it. I watched it from our pool. Uh, we, we put the uh, projector up in the backyard. Um, and uh, I don't need to tell you that. But it, <laughs> it was really cool. That so does sound cool. That might scare me, actually. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. But... But that that portion of the film where it's uh, it's Robert Shaw and um, and Dreyfus and oh my god and Roy Scheider, Roy jeez, thank you. Um, <laughs> they're they're really only in it together for maybe twenty twenty five minutes. Yeah, most of it is just this you know Hitchcocky and needling you know building of the tension i mean it, it, it there's a lot less laughs in the film than i than i remember um maybe i need to watch it again but i because I, I sort of I, I would say watch it once a year because it is just freaking perfect love. it really is um it's interesting you know what i found interesting is as i was going through i was sort of doing a little bit of research on on you know what exactly is considered you know, the horror comedy genre and how it breaks down into parody, which is, you know, parody would be something like Cabin in the Woods or spoof, which would be something like Scary Movie um, or black humor, where they're calling it gallows humor. And I would put something like Heathers in that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Because they're definitely, I mean, there's there's a body count in Heather's, you know, and and one of the... Sorry, is Heather's a, a horror comedy, or is it just a dark comedy? Well, that's, I mean, where do you, where do you draw the line? Is it a dark comedy that just happens to have a body count? I mean, yeah, people are killed. Because it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Huh. Well, okay, here's the other thing, too. I just saw Rambo Last Blood, right? <laughs> and I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I, I don't know what else anyone could possibly want from a Rambo movie. Right. But I was laughing the entire time. And, and I know that I'm sick. I know I have, like, you know, a, a skewed view on everything. <laughs> but, like... I, I, every time he hot, you know, hacked someone's leg off or shoved a pole into somebody's eye socket or just brutally stabbed someone like he's in the prison yard, I just laughed. I thought it was awesome. You know what I mean? But I, I was rooting for him the entire time. I was never kind of. I, I wouldn't put it in the in the horror genre, but I, I might I might put it more toward the dark comedy genre because. No, no. I guess I would. I guess I wouldn't because there is no sardonic take. There's no. There's no. Uh, there's no satire in Rambo. I, I would say Heather's is a is is certainly a satire, right? Yeah. Heather's and, and um, 
uh, what's that film that uh, that uh, Goldthwait did? American. Oh yes, yes, I know what you're talking about, and I can't pull it through. But I, yes, I know what you're talking about. It's a oh God, now I gotta look that up. But uh, it, it's uh, I would say horror can have can be a satire. It, it it often it often is allegorical. But and then let's let's face it, you know, zombies. The whole zombie genre is yes, yeah. brilliant satire. But I wonder. I I, I was never really scared or I never I never was worried about the people that um, Christian Slater and Winona Ryder were killing in Heathers well does it count if they kind of deserve it yeah I know right that's the question I guess that 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 might be where where it goes from horror to to dark comedy for me personally Um, you know if it's not if it's not a a group of kids who are just being kids and being punished by some, you know, uh, supernatural force of nature. Um, where, but instead, they're a group of shithead kids who, you know, are who treat everyone around them like they're beneath them, and they deserve to get, you know, blown away. That that might be. That might be the line for me, I think. And yet, they are kids. And, you know, I mean, jocks are the sort of stereotype of the jock. I mean, kind of the big dumb jock. That, that's, that, I mean, he's still a kid. And does he deserve to be killed? I mean, maybe he deserves to be told off. But do they actually deserve to die? I mean, I don't, you know, and that's sort of one of the moral questions of the movie, too. But are, are, we, are we now looking at Heathers through today's, you know, more enlightened kind of, you know, wokeness, for lack of a better term? Like, uh, we, we as adults who kind of lived with these archetypes growing up, who might have been, I think I certainly would have been more willing to watch an asshole jock get his head blown off right. in the 80s, would definitely see it, especially now being a parent, in a different light. Yeah, like, it, that's 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 interesting. And I mean, not to get too grim, but this all, Heather's also came out pre-Columbine. I mean, yeah. pre-school shootings. And so, the idea, it was still a for us, it was still a fantastical idea that kids would be shooting other kids at school. Like, that was still like, that doesn't happen. So, it was still kind of an escapist thing. Um, I don't know, it's interesting. It'd be be interesting to see, you know, sort of look at Heathers from, from our 2019 viewpoint now but um but i would say like definitely i feel like one of the contemporary uh directors of of comedy horror has got to be tim burton oh for sure yeah definitely i mean who uses who uses both uh genres so expertly you know what i mean and He's. I think his work has certainly fallen off of late, but I, 
I, I'm really hoping that that he has some kind of lo-fi resurgence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where he just kind of falls in love with you know the 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 simple art of telling his stories. You know, um, and, and maybe 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 that would happen if you know Dumbo you know broke box office records. Maybe he would have been able to make his dream project. Or right. Whatever whatever that may be, but yeah. He, I mean, Beetlejuice alone. Is oh yeah, absolute perfection. Edward Scissorhands, absolute perfection. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, Corpse Bride, all that. Uh, he's just so, yeah. He's so in it, man. He's so in that whole thing. Ed Wood, my God, Ed Wood is so good. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. No, they definitely and and and. I think I, well, I was going to say my favorite. I can't even say it because they're all so amazing. But I feel like it's hard to say what my favorite is. But Beetlejuice is certainly top five, top three, Tim Burton. And, and Michael Keaton just knocks it out of the park. I mean, Batman, his Batman is horror comedy too. Oh, for sure. Um, uh, you know, utilizing Michael Keaton again. And, you know, it's so funny because I feel like younger generations just sort of kind of grew up with Michael Keaton having played Batman. But what they, what they may not have known is when we all heard Michael Keaton as Batman, we were like, what? Mr. Mom is Batman? Like, how's that going to work? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, that just seemed like totally wrong casting. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'd, I'd like uh, I'd like people who were saying the same thing about Robert Pattinson to remember that. Um, you know, these these guys get the role for a reason. You know, uh, maybe Ben Affleck didn't, but uh, well, it helps <laughs> if you can give yourself the role. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that marriage I would like to see, uh, happen again. If it's not in a sequel to Beetlejuice, which has been bandied about for the last 10 years, I would really love to see Michael Keaton play a dark, dark, uh, I guess he was pretty, he was pretty good at Dumbo actually. Um, but that's still, I, as, as Tim Burton-y as that film is, it's still not a Tim Burton film and you know it. Right. Like, I want to see I want to see a new story that's not a remake from Tim Burton. I want to see something I want to see something fresh from Tim Burton. And, and, and you know, the thing about comedy, and I would say as as stylistically horror as Tim Burton is, I think he's just as funny. But the thing about comedy is, and it's probably true about horror as well. You really only have it for about. I would say 20 years tops, you know, and then, and then the times change and right. people laugh different things and they laugh in different ways and people get scared by different things and scared in different ways and, and you have to find something else. So I don't know, maybe, maybe Tim Burton's future is more in the, in the line of big eyes or big fish or some other big movie. <laughs> um, but no, I definitely, so what are your, what are your sort of favorite horror comedy? When you think horror comedy, what are movies that you that you rewatch that you really enjoy or that influence your writing? 
Well, I kind of shit on Mel Brooks a little bit um, before, but the the true gateway for me into the Universal Monsters was Young Frankenstein. Yes. Um, and I would say even even more so than Abbott Costello, Young Frankenstein purposely blurred the lines between horror and comedy. But there's but he plays those moments of horror in that film so honestly, so earnestly, right up until the Frankenstein monster has his thumb on fire and Gene Hackman is trying to play his, You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's so perfectly and Gene Wilder's performance is just unmatched in that yes. film. Um, I, I really think for me the the if you're just gonna have a horror comedy, maybe even call it a comedy horror, you know, comedy first in this case, um, I don't think you can do better than Young Frankenstein. But truthfully, like I said, I was laughing at Rambo Last Blood, which is how did I describe it to someone? It is a brutal heavy metal revenge fest. See, now that sounds like a description of the last um, Mad Max. Sure. Fury Road. I mean, that sort of has a... that. If I didn't know what the movie was and you just gave that description, I would think Mad Max. Yeah, and I guess there, there's, there's some... That's more of a chase film than a revenge film. Um, even though there are revenge elements in it, certainly for Charlize Theron's character. Um, but, I, but I hear what you're saying. I would say last, I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying when you say that about Fury Road, but I would say Last Blood is more just like, I don't know, it's like if Black Sabbath got together and, and decided <laughs> to record an album in their garage, basically. Right, right. You know what I mean? It just, it just felt like, it, it's almost like when, um, like when Springsteen decides to just put an album out and it's just him and a couple of friends in the studio for for a month or for whatever, however long it takes them, and it's like, oh, it's so pared down, it's so it's so to the core of what this you know is. You know what I mean? It's not dressed up and pretty. It's just it's just the 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 essence of what this always was, and it still works on that visceral level. And you know, um, it's interesting because I just heard a. a, a, a hilarious story about Springsteen which is slightly connected to this which is that um, I heard this on there's a great there's actually a really great film podcast called Unspooled and I heard it on there where the night before De Niro is shooting Taxi Driver like a scene in Taxi Driver he goes to a Springsteen concert and at the concert, you know, girls are, so this is like the late 70s, girls are screaming at him. And Springsteen says, you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Are you kidding? Swear to God. And De Niro cribbed it from Springsteen. That's crazy. That's and, awesome. That's so, and so, and not that Taxi Driver is a comedy, but I think it certainly has some horror elements to it. Oh, no, it definitely does. Yeah, it definitely does. In the same way that I think the new Joker film is going to feel very much like a horror film. Um, and that is certainly patented after uh, 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 Taxi Driver. Um, but yeah, it's uh, just, I think I was, what was I talking about? Um, oh, my favorite horror comedy. Yes. 
Um, I kind of find a lot. I find a lot of humor in horror in general. Um, I tend to laugh. Uh, I think I laughed all the way through uh, the last Alien movie, but <laughs> not making fun of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like I actually really liked um, the last Alien movie. I can't remember what it was called. It was the one where they're all like, it was the sexy one. You know what I mean? It was kind of like a call. It was like that's a, not Resurrection, a was it? No, no, it was the one where I can't. I've uh, lost count. Yeah, it was after Prometheus. Oh um, right, right, right. Yeah, they're they're basically gonna. It was uh, oh, what's it called? I can't remember, but they're all supposed to like restart civilization or something on a new planet i can't remember um but i i I just thought it was all done so well and um just the the creepiness of of, uh the eyeball stuff i thought was fantastic even though we've seen that before i I thought they did it really well um i love going back and watching old 80s films um hotel hell is hilarious uh, doesn't mean to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 is hilarious Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 which is a little bit more of a comedy is hilarious um, but Evil Dead 2 is possibly the best modern comedy horror film um, after Young Frankenstein uh, really? okay Dead? Have you seen Evil Dead? I, I have not. I have not. I told you I, I shy away from horror. Have you seen Evil Dead? No. Okay. So you have to watch Evil Dead and then you have to watch Evil Dead 2. Okay. Because they're basically the same movie. But what Sam Raimi does in Evil Dead 2, I mean, when I say they're the same movie, I mean they're the same movie. Right. But they're, they're literally, it's like they go to the cabin, they find the book, everything they start getting possessed one by one. It's the Bruce Campbell. It's the same fucking movie, but it's just a little more bombastic. There's a little more money involved. Bruce Campbell is off the fucking wall insane in the film, and it's just hilarious. And it spawned this entire Bruce Campbell fighting the evil dead you know, uh, uh, history that he just recently decided he was going to step away from. Yeah. Uh, the TV show itself, Ash vs. Evil Dead, was way better than it should have been. Um, uh, it's Evil Dead 2, I think, is, is probably a close second, I would say, to Young Frankenstein. Wow, okay, but I will check I it can, out. I can laugh at almost any horror except for... Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, yes. I, yes. Um, I, I like that movie. I'm not going to say I love that movie because it disturbs me so much. Yeah. Um, it's such a disturbing film. And uh, Cannibal Holocaust, even that I can laugh at, except for when they kill the, the turtle. It's just absolutely disgusting. It's basically Faces of Death. They, they actually yeah. kill a turtle. Gosh. Um, but everything else is freaking hilarious that that you know they thought that was that's a, that's funny that's funny in like a, a not on purpose way you know what I mean? right um, right there there are people who will say oh Hannibal, cannibal uh, holocaust is so terrifying it's like no you really need to think about it because at the end of the movie they all get like 
they all have these brutal graphic there's a there's a rape scene and then they eat her body they're, oh my they, god i don't they, know that i could take they, that yeah they they hold up a guy they they show him cutting off his penis they then they eat they, they eat him oh lord done yeah, it's all supposed to be done in a um found footage type thing oh you know, because it's like a blair witch thing yeah it's almost like a, one of the first blair witch films uh found footage films so you keep cutting back to this uh this group of like uh i don't know network execs uh who thought that these people were shooting a uh nature program and they turned out to be just sadistic assholes who by the way, when they're getting eaten, you're like, yeah, kill kill that person. He's a terrible person. It's kind of, it's, a, it's a trippy movie in that way, in that, like, the protagonists are the worst people alive. So by the time they're actually getting eaten by these natives, you're kind of rooting for them to get eaten. But the, the funny part is, it's like, they keep filming each other getting eaten. They run away once the, once the natives realize they're being filmed after eating one of their cohorts. Oh my God. But they come back to watch the other person get eaten until finally, you know, the last guy gets eaten. And and it's just, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And it's just gory to be gory. And like I said, there's a horrific scene where they, they, they actually killed on set this large uh, river turtle in the Amazon. That's awful. I know. Well, you know, it's the 70s. You know, they got away with a lot back then. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. As you were talking, it's like it's making me think of other... Like, I certainly saw, you know, the Elm Street and Halloween, you know, the the 80s horror I saw. The 80s temple horror, yeah. Yeah, like Elm Street, uh, Halloween, Friday the 13th um, were definitely... Those were our universal monsters. They really were. And I and I genuinely did laugh at Elm Street. That was... Oh, yeah. I found that funny. I mean, like, you know, little Johnny Depp getting sucked into the bed was actually kind of hilarious. Oh, totally. Uh, Jason um, zipping up a girl into a sleeping bag and then just brutally bashing her up against a tree until she, she stops screaming. I mean, it's like, you know, these things are... It's funny. By the way, Jason makes no sense whatsoever. For no reason, he's a supernatural, undead, you know, slasher. Um, Chucky the doll. Yeah. You know? uh, they tried to do it with um, uh, Jigsaw, and, and I think a lot of people a lot of people are into it. Um, but it, for me, it was a little too muddy. I, I felt like the mythology wasn't as simple and clear. Uh, which is why, for me, it doesn't work. But a lot of people love Jigsaw. Um, the uh, ghost face in Scream. Um, yeah. You know, that's the that's the ticket, right? Like, if you want to create, like, a horror, you want to create, you know, essentially, you want to get people wearing your uh, your horror icon on Halloween. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, Scream definitely... I rewatched Scream recently, and, I mean... It's good. It's genuinely yeah. good. It's and it's funny and it's scary and and uh, it had been it had been so long that I forgot for a moment who the killer was. 
and oh, and I actually, I mean, it's seriously, it's probably been like twenty years. I mean, I don't know, but it's been it's a Matthew long time. Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich, right? Right, right. Right. And no, no, no uh, spoiler alert, I guess. But, well, but, it's uh, it's are, out there. They're they're terrifying once once the mask is off and once their motives are clear. Those guys are fucking terrifying. It's like it's just it has a sort of like columbine shooter you know fascination to it it's like it's like what have we done to our children kind of like you know allegory it's like these guys have been raised on all of this horrific violence and you know we're reaping what we sow like these are the young deranged minds that we've created yeah the movie's so fucking good and and matthew lillard you know i i met him once and his his face looks like that mask i mean i feel like they just sort of took his face and like exaggerated it slightly that's interesting that is interesting you know he has that sort of long lanky look that that i i I thought well i should have figured that out sooner because you kind of look like that guy that's so funny he seems like a great guy i've only i've only uh read interviews and listened to I think a podcast or two he seems like a really great guy he was I mean I met him very briefly at at uh Sundance years ago but um but no he was very nice he was a very he was a nice guy uh uh it's always nice to you know when you meet someone to that they're nice you know you meet a famous person like they're so often not <laughs> yeah, I've certainly yeah, met my not. fair share who were not pleasant amen amen to that <laughs> But uh, but I want to just get into the the most recent one, which is Cabin in the Woods, and because like I said, I'm not a horror big horror person, so I had not seen it, but I watched it the other day, and I even I even watched um, I watched it like two in the afternoon, so okay. that because I'm like I don't know how scary this is gonna be, and I want to have enough time to get over it. And watch something else. Um, it was kind of pleasant then. It was a little bit of a pleasant surprise, right? Yes. They, they removed the artifice of horror kind of halfway through the film. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I they thought. Kind of bring it back, right? Yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant film. It really film. is. It really is. It really is. And, but what, what I found very interesting about it was the humor comes from. I mean, it's very meta. And the humor comes from knowing what they're referencing and what, you know, what those horror archetypes are. I mean, when she tells him she's a virgin and then she's like, wait, why did I say that? (laughs) Like, no, I'm not. (laughs) You know, or or when she um, stabs the guy, the the zombie, or the undead guy, and then doesn't drop the weapon and like is given an electric shock so that she drops the weapon like it's it's i just i found not only was it funny but the the source of the humor if you don't know anything if you've never seen a horror movie you don't know anything about the archetypes you can still enjoy it but it's not going to be as enjoyable as if you you know then if you actually know what they're talking about and i actually ended up going on youtube because 
I've seen enough horror to like I knew a lot of what they were referencing, but like I like I said I hadn't seen the Evil Dead, so I hadn't so I didn't realize that cabin was that cabin. So I went on YouTube and I found this video that was like almost all the movies that are referenced in Cabin in the Woods and I was writing them down. I mean, it's a long list. Thank God for those videos. Too. Yes. I mean, Whoever does that exhaustive research, God bless you. And I know, getting... but it was, it was, I thought, to begin with, it has the DNA of Truman Show. Oh, for sure. Wouldn't, yeah, you, wouldn't you say? It... also a heavy dose of Scream as well, right? Yes, yes. Um, it's, yeah, it's Truman Show meets Scream. That's exactly what it is. You're right, yeah. And and I so I really I enjoyed that. I mean, even isn't one of the characters' name Truman? Um, yeah, I think so. And and so like I like I like when a movie and this is some I'm not saying anything bad about Tarantino. I like a lot of most of his movies, but I think one of my one of my I don't know, I guess issues is. I feel like, like with this movie, I appreciated that they referenced all these movies, but they did it obviously. Like they said, we're referencing this movie, and we know that we're doing it, and we know that you know we're doing it, you know? And they were very open about it, whereas I feel like Tarantino sometimes references a slew of movies, but he thinks he's getting away with it. Like you may not know. Like, he, like he's not always obvious about it, you know? Like he tries well, to like. That's interesting. I I do know what you mean, but I almost think that like with with Quentin, what he's doing is he's so niche with his references. Like you either get it or you don't. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and I, and I think like with him, he just doesn't care. You know what I mean? True. Like, it's like if you're in on this, you're gonna enjoy it a lot more. But it's up to me to make sure that you know you don't have to be in on this in order for you to you know to really enjoy it anyway. You know what I mean? And sometimes it doesn't work, right? Like right. Death Proof, I think, fell on you know deaf ears. Yes. You know, like a lot of people didn't see those kinds of movies. I happened to grow up on them, so that was like manna from heaven for me. Right. I hear what you're saying for sure. Um, but like. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I just feel like I've seen a few where I just thought, you know, I know what you're referencing, but I feel like you, not that you, yeah, I guess, like, almost you don't want me to know, like, you feel like, sort of like you're repurposing it, you know, you're upcycling it. Sure, um, yeah. And, and, but I really, I, I really liked, um, the way that they did their referencing in Cabin in the Woods. And I thought it was interesting that, I was about to say Bradley Cooper, Bradley Whitford was both in uh, Cabin in the Woods and Get Out. Right. And in both, he's kind of the mad scientist character. (laughs) That's that's pretty crazy. You know, he's sort of the Frankenstein character. Dr. Frankenstein character. Yeah, that's interesting. In both movies. I mean, literally, the get out, he's actually the surgeon. Wow, that's so funny. I I wonder if that's why Whitford is in Get Out. Um, Because he really is almost the exact same character. That's so funny. Yeah. And that's another, I would say, another horror comedy. I feel like 
one of the, you know, obviously the, the, the I can't remember the guy's name, but um, the, the, the policeman, the cop friend. Lil Yes. He's the, uh, it's he's like he's the- straight up comic relief. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's, he's the pressure release in that film. Every time he's on screen, you're like, okay, okay. Yeah. That is like a uh, Hitchcockian, Kubrickian, you know, uh, a fever dream of just absolute pressure. And every time Lil Rel pops his head in, it's so Yes. Get your breath, get your breath. We're, we're diving back in as soon as he's off screen. Okay, we're going back in, and this sucks again. Oh, this is terrible. Get yeah. out of there. Yeah, yeah, man. It's 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 a perfect example of that. Um, and I love I, I I really liked Get Out. I really enjoyed it. And it's not I mean, it's certainly a scary movie, but like I would say the last quarter of it, like the first, most of it is not like scary in terms of like, you know, pop out scary. It's it's eerie. It's yeah, eerie slow burn that scene where he realizes the maid unplugged his charger where she stood the tear falling from her face uh where the other character um has his uh freak out moment where where he literally says the words get out yes uh, the the in the middle of the night the other character the groundskeeper doing his running um all of those moments are, are are the closest thing that you have to like horror, but this the the scene where he's talking with the blind man who is eventually going to you know have his eyes. Yeah. You know, that's that's just eerie. That the scene where uh, oh my god when he goes into the the sunken place. Oh yes. Uh, that's horror for sure. Yes. Um, but the, but leading up to it, you're. You're, it hits you so it hits you so fast and and, and so it, you're thinking like oh this is this isn't gonna go where it, into a crazy place like this it's the last thing you, you see coming is that he's you're going to have this visual um, uh, psychedelic kind of uh, pure cinematic um, uh, representation of what this character is going through you're it's just a dude sitting with his girlfriend's mom having tea, you know, and then and then when she clinks that the side of that glass, it's just it's masterful. It's absolutely masterful. It really is, and I felt like there's a there's a there's a lot of Hitchcock in there in terms of the eeriness and the 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 build up. Like the suspense is held for so long. Oh yeah. Before there's like a major scare, and I felt like he even did, you know, um, uh, Hitchcock. One of the things that he did was he liked to cast against type. So you know, he would take someone like Cary Grant, who's known more for at the time more not slapstick, but more like a screwball comedy, like a bringing up baby type of movie and puts him in suspicion where he's, you know, 
could he be the killer? Maybe, maybe not, or even notorious where he may not be a bad guy, but he's not necessarily a nice guy. Um, and, and then you think, like, Get Out has Allison Williams, who looks like, you know, like the all-American sweet girl, um, and Catherine Keener, who's like, you know, was like the 90s indie darling and, right. and, and sweetheart, in these, you know, complete opposite evil dark characters. I... And and makes even, it work. Even all of those, even all of the ancillary characters around them, you know, like like they're all just these like what what we would assume to be, you know, just sweet town folk. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's done so well. It really is. It really is. Now, did you see us? I've not seen us yet, and it's I've had every single opportunity to do it. It's just when I have when you have kids, things fall through the cracks. Yes. And one of those was us. Another one was Spider Man Far From Home, believe it. Oh, that was good. I know, and I'm a and you know I'm a huge geek. Um, but I did not I didn't even see Spider Man. Um, how did that happen? I don't know. Uh, so I haven't seen us yet and I was I'm a little what I wanted to I was so keyed up to see it I was, was going to be one of those things where like I snuck away and like did it by myself but then the reviews scared me off a little bit no so, and, and, and not not that not that I was I was um, uh, that I read them I didn't read any of the reviews but the fact that there were negative reviews on the film I was like okay I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit because I want to make sure that I see it completely objectively Right, because I don't trust reviewers. I never have. Right. Um, some of the some of my favorite movies are were eviscerated by reviewers. Um, Abbott and Costello but, meets Frankenstein, being one of them. Watchmen, Blade Runner, yeah, so many. But like, um, the problem is when when you have kids and you decide to kind of you know put something on the back burner, it often stays there. Yes. So I just haven't, I haven't had a chance to do it. Have um, you seen it? I, yes. Okay. Um, yes and no. I have not actually had a chance to sit down and see it from beginning to end, but I've seen, like, large portions of it. Okay. Um, because I was, well, I was intrigued. I didn't actually hear any or see any reviews all i saw was that it was sort of a in a way sequel to get out and that it was yeah it's kind i guess he's sort of working on a trilogy and us is like the same world as get out and 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 i'm not gonna say it's like an official sequel but sort of um in a way, it's kind of like a maybe a sequel in terms of like theme, maybe. Um, but but so I yeah so I've seen large portions of it, and I liked it. I have to say, scary. It is scary, but it but I I, I liked it, and I definitely want to um, sit down and really like take the time to 
you know, watch it from beginning to end. I don't have the excuse of having kids to say I haven't seen it. But say this about it, and this is why I definitely want to see it. It looks like it's playing um, much more with uh, some some horror tropes that I absolutely love. The the invaders, the uh, a, a closer look at self, um, you know, are, are you the monster? Like, I'm not sure if that's exactly what's going on. I can only base it on, on trailers, but like... Uh, like we are our own worst enemy? Yes. It looks, it looks like there are um, some intriguing psychological uh, uh, things to pull from it that I, I really want to dig into it. I'm glad that we talked about this because I need to put it right back at the top of my list. And, you know, what I think is interesting, because you mentioned it with the tropes, because I think Cabin in the Woods does the same thing, actually, that Young Frankenstein does, in that I've, the the people who made it had a, have a love for the genre. Like... Mel Brooks loved universal horror movies. He wasn't, he wasn't spoofing it because he didn't like it. He had a genuine love for those hor- universal horror movies. And, and I feel like um, uh, Joss Whedon and, and, oh my God, his name has just left my head. The other guy who did, who did uh, Cabin in the Woods. Um, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Because I worked on Firefly and Ain't uh, Buffy. Um, oh, it's awful. I know Joss Whedon and the other guy's name has just left my head. But um, but they have, I feel like they have a genuine love for horror films, you know? And, and so, and you can see that. And I, and I think that, so the, even though they're definitely making fun of those tropes and cliches, at the same time, it's like done in a loving way. I feel if that oh, makes sure. sense. Yeah, it's all coming from a, it's all coming from a uh, an appreciation. Drew Goddard. Yes, that? Drew Goddard. Um, yeah, it's all coming from a place of love, which I, I which now I, I'm starting to think that's probably why I didn't love Spaceballs. You can tell Mel Brooks was not a fan of Star Wars. <laughs> that's why I didn't like Spaceballs. Right, right. right. Oh, that's so funny. I have to, I have to justify that because I know that there are people who love Spaceballs, but I cannot stand that movie. It does not hold up to this day. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I think I really do think that Cabin in the Woods shows a love for those movies, and they're, you know, we mentioned it references Evil Dead. It references The Shining, actually twice. Both with the, the the image of the twins, but in the very beginning, when they're that that helicopter shot of them driving, is oh, yeah. totally, you know, going to Overlook Hotel. Um, yep. It it you know uh, the thing. Um, there now the guy who did the YouTube video. Um, there's an image of a of a huge spider, and he thought that it was from that they were referencing, um, I can't remember what it was now, but it was like a, uh, uh, like a, you know, a 80s, 90s horror movie. Um, uh, let me see. Not arachnophobia. No, not arachnophobia. 
But I want to say eight leg, eight legged freaks, but it's not. Yeah, eight legged three freaks. Oh, interesting. And I had thought that, and I thought, you know, and that's sort of also one of the great things about the movie is you can see a lot, you know, you see what you see. But I thought of like the fifties sci-fi movies, like them. That's interesting, yeah. Well, that's what Eight-Legged Freaks was kind of, you know, it was like, oh, we can make a movie like them, but we can do it with these new special effects. It's basically what Eight-Legged Freaks was, right? I guess, yeah. But it's been both, so long. Both probably right on that one. Um, they, they, meant, they referenced Little Shop of Horrors. Um, they mentioned, uh, they referenced King Kong. You see King Kong yeah. uh, in Buenos Aires. Uh, the Ring, which I shockingly actually have seen The Ring. So when I saw that girl, I was like, The Ring! That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. But um, I, was proud, I was proud of them for kind of having the cojones to put that in there. Um, because it was like... It, it, you know, it was so it was so recent. The ring was so recent when Cabin in the Woods came out. Right. So I was like, good for you. Just like putting putting that film in in the class of all the other films that you're referencing. Right. I was like, I was like, right on, because the ring really is. I mean, both the original and and the remake um, are. It's just class A fucking horror. Man. Oh yeah, no, it was it was. It, it is really good, and I and I love that they reference. Even though I may not necessarily love the movie, I love the the way they referenced it. The back in '98, that one mishap with the which was the faculty. Oh, that's so funny. They're referencing that movie, The Faculty. I think that's Katie Holmes, where basically they, you know, they don't die. Wasn't that was that? Rodriguez direct that? The Faculty. Was that Robert Rodriguez? I didn't think that it was. Yeah, directed yeah. by Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah, um, I loved that movie. I, and I've, I, again, that was one I haven't seen from beginning to end, but I've seen, like, most of it. Um, so I actually got that one. Um, but, uh, it was funny because I, 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 because I feel like I haven't seen a lot of horror. I was so proud of myself each time I recognized a movie. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, I got that one, but that was why I looked it up because I thought for every one that I'm getting, there are probably like ten that I'm not getting. But this is just before we end. I just wanted to say this is like a general list. They mention Evil Dead, Werewolf, um, Night of the Living Dead, Alien, Hill. Hills Have Eyes, 13 Ghosts, It, Hellraiser, which even though I haven't seen Hellraiser, I totally knew who that guy was. I knew that that was Hellraiser. Another um, one of the icon 80s uh, horror. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mummy. Um, now, one of the guys, the, the, on the YouTube video, he was saying, because, you know, it has that, um, which I thought was genius, that dry erase board. <laughs> where they have all the creatures like listed who they're betting on and it just says bride and he thought it was um like some splatter like blood like blood splatter bride or something and i thought well, why wouldn't it just be bride of frankenstein that's definitely who it was come on i mean yeah i thought well that's a stretch just uh, bride that, of frankenstein that's what happens when you have these millennials making these you know Hor uh, YouTube horror videos, man. 
Exactly, exactly. They need to go back to the to the past a little bit. Um, but um, Jack Frost, Blade Two, Nosferatu, the Merman came from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, so there were just Wicker Man, Amityville Horror. You know, there there were just so many uh, that he referenced that they referenced that. You know, my last question, I would, I just want to ask, because why is it, because clearly it seemed like at the end of the movie, they, it's like cleaning the slate. Like, we're not doing these cliches, these tropes anymore. This is what they all were, and now, you know, the, the ancient gods, which would, is the audience, um, has decided to clean the slate. Um, why do you think that we, the audience, like, what is it about these cliches about the dumb jock and the, 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 the sort of dumb slutty blonde and the, the nerd? Like, I mean, they basically take, like, what, the cast, of, the, the, the cast of Breakfast Club and put them in every horror movie. Um, why do we, you know want this as the audience like why do we have issues when they don't follow these cliches or these tropes i think it just makes it easy for us to watch these people be dismembered um i i think that if if your characters are easily digestible archetypes that the audience can put all of their own personal baggage into it's just easier to watch those people go through horrible shit. The, the, the worst kind of horror is the kind of horror where you completely fall in love with someone and then watch them, uh, watch everything deteriorate. Like, um, then it becomes noir. Then it, yeah, well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> unless it's, unless, unless it's like, I would say the remake of the fly. You know right, what I mean? Right. Where Jeff Goldblum, no matter what, he is he's somebody who's this enigmatic character, no matter who he's playing. He could be playing a boring accountant, and Jeff Goldblum's going to be absolutely the only thing you're watching on screen. Right. Uh, especially when he's playing a scientist, a brilliant scientist who's creating um, transportation technology, um, starting a burgeoning love affair with a gorgeous... Um, uh, oh my god, her name just... Gina Davis? Thank you, oh my god. <laughs> uh, and as, as, as difficult as our, you know, meager plebeian minds can wrap around the, you know, machinations of such an Einsteinian type, you know, right. type of character, you know, the one thing that works for us, the one hook for that is that relationship between, you know, that woman. What made that so difficult to watch was you believed that these two people um, loved each other. You know right. what I mean? So right. if he had been just an asshole, it would have been easier for us to watch his nose fall off. Right. But because he was so strange and already alien, but had found something human 
it was so difficult for us to watch him go through that transformation. You know what I mean? Right. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny because it made me think of um, American Werewolf. Totally. Where we, you know, we like Griffin Dunn. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And and to watch him go through that transformation, you're like, no, not him. <laughs> not you. Exactly. Um, but which is also, I mean, it has to be, it's a classic of horror comedy, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and to have that transformation essentially not affect their personality. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, he's just. You know, he's just a rotting corpse, but he's still got those one-liners. Exactly. 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 Well, Jason, I have to thank you. It took us a year to get to do this, but know, this so was... sorry it didn't work out last year. It's it okay. last year. Um, but, but I'm so but glad I'm, we finally got to do it. Yeah, this has been a great conversation, and uh, I look forward to, to uh, maybe doing this again in the future on another topic. Let's do it. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, bye. <laughs> bye. Thank you for listening to The Real Woman. Please join me next week when my guest will be Halim Strings Rasul. He and I will be discussing his 2014 documentary, The Jitterbugs, Pioneers of Jit, about a uniquely Detroit dance style called Jit. Please join me. Good night.